you're listening to Life in the Peloton with Midge Stocker. Me. time for us doing a podcast, first time for you guys listening, so I hope you enjoy. Our first guest is Luke Durbridge, and we're just going to be talking to him as he enters his fifth year of, as a professional to see how he prepares for a season, find out what type of rider he really is, and what other riders do in a specific team. Some other stuff we chat about and drift off and on, but uh, it's the first one, so let's just see how it goes, and um, I hope you enjoy. All right, here we go. <clears throat> First little potty, try uh, tester one. Got Luke Durbridge here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no worries, good to have you, mate. Um, teammate of mine, Green Edge, Orica Green Edge, pro tour team in the UCI Peloton. And um, he's best known for his time trialing attributes, but he is also known Pretty much as Turbo Durbo is his nickname, and that would you agree? Are you still the Turbo Durbo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty, it's a pretty terrible nickname for me, but yeah, I roll with it. It's not terrible for you. It's actually, no, it's it, good. it, it actually, yeah, make, yeah it's, it's exactly what you are. You yeah, get okay. on the front, and you're a Turbo, there and I go. can, I can vouch for that name. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. We'll, we'll run with that for this one at least. But, um, <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty much my style rider. So. Yeah. Anyway, look, um, we're going to find out a bit more about Luke along the way, and um, I wanted to start off this one today. It's 2016, new season. Um, everyone's starting to think about. Well, I'm thinking about especially is my program throughout the season, how it's going to run, um, the peaks and troughs of the program, my goals, and pretty much what carries me through a season in Europe. Um, and you know, I'm a different rider to Luke. Luke is based around, um, grand tours and a tour type rider, yet we touch in and out of the same sort of races early in the season, um, which are short one day races, a short, when I mean they're long one day races, but they're just a one dayer. But Luke is a special type of rider who can do both things, grand tours, which are long three week races. And he can change himself up and be a good one-day rider, which is something that I'm trying to specialize in myself. So, Luke, um, pretty much, we're in January. What does what lies ahead for you this year? Yeah, pretty much. Um, like you said, you mentioned before, it's one of those things with you. You you rock up at the training camp and you get your year on a piece of paper. You know that's a you you happen all a couple of years. You sort of you look at the the piece of paper, and uh, on this piece of paper, you've got your program. And on your program is, you know, most of the time races that are picked out for you. Um, and Do you have any say in this? When this piece of paper, who's the piece of paper coming from? Actually, yes, yeah, true. That's true. Uh, the the piece of paper comes from obviously the head director. Um, and in our situation, it's Matt White. Um, 
And he goes through and much of a muchness. Sometimes you don't have a choice with what races you do. But with our team, I find that I've over the years I've been given a good race program that I can sort of custom in a way to suit my my needs. Um, and in a sense, for for my year, like you said, my year sort of goes in between one day racer to sort of picking certain time trials throughout the year and then going to a grand tour and obviously, you know, doing the turbo turbo thing and riding on the front, you know, and doing that sort of sense. So my program can be quite vast throughout the year. Um, as like, say, for example, you know, yours can be a bit different between lead outs, coming back to a classic rider, back to lead outs, back to classic riders, you'd have to roll reversal. I think as within our sport, we have to be very versatile um, because one role is pretty much not good enough. You need to be very versatile throughout the season in lots of different areas, regardless if you're a leader or a worker, a time trial, a sprinter here and there. If you don't, if you don't make yourself versatile, then you pretty much there's another rider who's more versatile than you. Yeah, that's true, exactly. And do you think, you were just saying then that, you know, you come in and now you can start to dictate your program. Do you feel this is your, coming into your fifth year as a professional? And do you think that's taken four years before you could finally say, hey, look, Matt White, um, next year, I know you've outlined a program that you think will suit me. You know, for instance, it might be example... I'm going to start the year off with some Australian racing before I go to Europe. When I get to Europe, I want to race. Uh, they've said to you before, we want you to race in Italy in a race, a stage race there. And then we want you to head up to Belgium and do some classics. And after that, you'll go on to do a grand tour in Italy, the Giro, and then following that, some races and another grand tour in Tour de France. And sure, the first few years, you didn't necessarily know what was good for you. So you coasted along with that. But now in your fifth year, are you thinking, you know, I've tried that and that didn't work and that did work. I'm actually going to dictate a little bit to you guys now what I want. Is that possible? Yeah, I think so. For sure you have to, with one of these things, is that your legs have to do the talking, you know. And and that's a big thing is as, you know, if you come on the scene and you're instantly winning races, um, then obviously the next year you're going to kind of run with that same program again because that sort of work the last year and it's all about winning races and, and achieving, not not all about winning races, but it's all about achieving at a high level your role. You know, it's either rocking up to the World Throne leading out Caleb 10 times and winning all 10. Your program's going to be something similar next year because it worked that year, you know? Mm. And that's the same for, for, for me. That In my first year, I rock up and I just sort of go with what the program was and it worked quite well. Then I sort of became quite versatile and you go to certain races and then before you know it can kind of, without without you knowing, um, one year, two years, you sort of start to realise you've done all these races, you've done all of them, um, all in different orders, all in different you know uh, configurations and things like that. And you start to work out, okay, like you said, one this works for me, that works for me, this doesn't, that doesn't. You know your body. After five years, you start to really know when your body might go better in March, might go better in October. You know, this is a certain certain areas. Like, and uh, what we did was this year, I sat down with the team and like you said, after five years, I think I've got a good understanding of what works and what doesn't. And yeah, you do, within reason, you have a, you have a say, you're not just going, you know, I want to race four races next year. That's not the way it's going to happen. But you can go, okay, look, 
I really think this is an ideal preparation to get me to the Tour de France in the best condition. What do you think? And then the team... And typically, what would be that ideal preparation? Just say, you want to be in your best form in the Tour de France this year. Per se, would start with a a big uh, training block, maybe a month. Whereabouts? uh, At altitude. Uh, At what month? You're talking... So two months before. So we'll go backwards from the Tour yeah, de France. So right. Starting at the Tour de France. Tour de France one. is July 1. July 1. So you would go back to... Uh, two months before would be... Sorry. Oh, that'd be June, May. June, May, May 1. May. May. So May... Uh, you would start May May 1. You would go to altitude. Okay. Right? And you would go for three weeks. Yep. And you would do a big, long base Training block. block. Yeah. Um, consists of long hours in the mountains, getting the attitude adaption, all that sort of stuff. Then afterwards, you would come down and you would do a race. So you would have a week easy after that. So that's a month still without racing. Mm-hmm. And then from June 1, you would start a race. Yeah. Which could be Dauphiné, Swiss. Which is what, a one-week stage one race? One-week stage yeah. race. And, the, and then you would use that one-week stage race to sharpen up. You know, get the intensity of racing, get the feeling back, things like that. Is this in an ideal world that you know you're going to go to the Tour de France and selection is not a, is not a problem? Or are you still fighting for selection in Dauphiné or Tour de Suisse? This is still fighting for selection. So, yeah. are you confident enough going to these races at 90%, knowing you still need to find 10% in these races, knowing that you still need to get selected at 90%? Do you find some guys will still go to these races? And this is the feeling I have never riding a Tour de France. But I get the feeling some of the hardest races in the season are prior to the Tour de France. Not knowing the Tour de France, so I can't comment on that. Mm. But just from speaking to some guys, they go, if you get through a race like Dauphiné, or even a smaller race called Route de Sud, which is the last possible race before the Tour de France, a lot of guys are going to these races at 100% because they know, shit, if I don't perform here, I'm not going to get selected for the Tour de France. Therefore, and then once they get selected, they're like, well, I'm in the team now. Who cares? Mm. You know, not who cares, but... No, no, no. I'm on the downward spiral now. I've reached my peak. So is that something you are aware of? (laughs) Yeah, you're aware of. Uh, That's something that I have been put in a situation before and, you know, you find out one week before or two weeks before you're doing the Tour de France. Um, So if you go on both cents, you're dead right, hit the nail on the head. You have to be going closer to... uh, 100% 100% at Dolphin or Swiss if you're still up for selection. If you have the luxury that you know you're going to the Tour de France, then sure, you'd maybe dial it back 10% that yeah. you are not going so well because you can use Swiss a bit or Dolphin A, that one-week stage race, whatever it is, route to suit. Mm. Use that race to build yourself up for the Tour de France. Uh, but that's not always the case. And it's not a perfect world. And you within, within our sport, you might get maybe five, five on the maximum, I reckon, of guys that'll know, yeah, the big months out, yeah, the big guys will know that they are obviously you know year out even that they they're have doing to know the tour that. They have to know that confidence, otherwise they're not going to prepare properly. Not going to prepare properly, and they're going to be in the tour day one at one hundred percent rather than mm. you know at the end of the tour when they need to perform. Interesting, but mm. back on what you were just saying before, yep. before this altitude camp, something that we were speaking about is before I think is important because I had to do this post the classics and the classics are one day races in Belgium where it's all about force power and fighting on the bike it's almost the other end of the spectrum 
to a grand tour. Mm. It's one day of power. And you're one of those guys that can actually do both. There's only a few guys that are able to transfer themselves to do both really well. And I think you were speaking about the altitude camp there in May. So the classics finish mid-April. And you've got, you know, about six weeks turnaround there. Where you've got to pretty much change your body's shape, your size, and your ability to, to ride in the in a grand tour. So I don't know if you put enough emphasis on that altitude camp, but actually that's that's super important that camp because you're transferring your, your body from a classics rider into a from a one day rider into a three week stage race rider, which is I think a lot of people underestimate that fact. They sort of think you know, a race is a race, but they're actually uh, complete ends of the spectrum. Mm. Is that something that you find difficult, that camp, or is it just sort of happens for you? I don't know. It's very, I yeah, you sort of, you've, you've done it before, and I've trained with you before leading into those sort of grand tours straight after the classics, and it is difficult, and you kind of feel like you might be pinning it unnecessarily. And when I mean pinning it, I mean like you are in lockdown. You know, you're in complete lockdown of, uh, you finish the classics and you might be, you know, sometimes four kilos over the weight that you would like to go to a grand tour. And four kilos is a lot for any person. Is it muscle or uh, fat, you um, think? I think it's a bit of both. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of both. I think like, you know, you are doing one day races and these one day races are so stressful on the body that you are consuming an excess amount of calories and... The hard thing about the classics is that you might be doing, you might have a crash 30k in and you've just consumed 6,000 calories the day before and you've only done 30k and it's like, well, I better rest up for the next one. Yeah, and you're scared then not to fuel up for the next one. You're not like going to go, well, I better cut back on the fuel now. So, well, I've got a a potentially a 260k race in two days' time. Going the deepest I've ever gone or you might do 30k and day's done. Again. You know, and yeah. that that's actually what sums up sometimes a classic season, and that's been yeah. the the feeling for me. I get the feeling classics are a bit on and off. One year you have a year where it's a puncher and it's a crash, and then the the next year it's you know you miss that crash, or you know you should have punched there, or yep. and everything happens like that, and there that's true. That's how they go. And that's the thing. Like so, what for me when I get to the end of uh, the classics period, it's almost like quick debrief, a quick assessment. <laughs> where you're at one year like you said I got through all of them um, and that I came out that year without putting on too much weight um, and without you know getting that classic slug feeling of oh, I've got to start climbing mountains now and I haven't seen a climb longer than 500 metres for a month or more and um, I think my engine is different in terms of like I struggle with them short sharp punchy stuff and I've really got to work hard to be good at that so I work really hard leading to the classics that I am doing them short, sharp, punchy stuff. But the long, I'm not a climber in any means, but the long sense of getting through a grand tour, the aerobic capacity that has that takes to get through a grand tour. When I'm going to get through a grand tour, you know, I'm potentially riding group pedo most days. But you're getting through being able to achieve your and job group, with the team. group pedo is the last group on the road. Yes. Group yeah. is the last group on the road and... The laughing bunch is sometimes referred to well, as... Well, I'd more for the crying bunch. <laughs> 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 we, 
which uh, yeah. has it actually uh, occurred, happened to you? Yeah, I've never laughed, I don't think, in that bunch. No. I've actually teared up in yes. the crying bunch. I have, I have. Yes, it's not a... Uncontrollably. It's not a, it's not a, and, and it's funny, it, it must have happened to most people. You see people in the group pedo, they're like, what are you doing in here? And he's a 63 kilo climber and he's got the tears going down the face and you're like... Mate, I've been there. I was yeah. there yesterday. And no one's know? laughing at you. Yeah. Exactly. What is Gruppetto in Italian? It's Italian. Gruppetto. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, but what's the translation of it? Last group? I think it's, it's like a is it auto, like, like a bus. Like Gruppetto. Yeah, I don't know. know. Should, group. should probably know yeah, that. Yeah, we probably should know that, yeah. Um, Everyone just... I just... I yell it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the bottom of climbs and stuff. Try and get it to form. Exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, we're talking about preparing stuff. Yeah. We'll go back to this season. Um, just how would you prepare for this season? So we have pretty much until October off or mid-October, depending on who, who you are, when you finish. And you have a, a month off, three weeks to a month, can be the whole of October or halfway through October. And then you sort of jump back on the bike in November. Um, you know, and... Our first race will be January 1 because we're Australian and we have to do these things called the Bay Crits, Bay Criteriums, which um, are hell on earth because they're just a small circuit race and pretty much the hardest race you'll do all season because it's so high intensity and you haven't been doing any intensity yet. Um, Anyway, so... And no one wants to do Threshold at 1st of January either, you know. That's right. New Year's Day. (laughs) Um, yeah, New Year's Day, exactly, that's another point. So, November, December, how do you approach that? Because um, I know I approach November, December totally different to how I approach other training blocks during the season, mentally as well as physically. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's the, you come off the November, December period, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same for you, but for me, I come off very refreshed. And within the last two weeks of my off-season, I might have three weeks off or five weeks off. I get this feeling of I uh, chomping at the bit, you know. I want to get out there on the bike, and I want to I want to go training. I've got all these new ideas um, that I want to play with for the next season. Next season's always going to be the best season of your life, you know. The mentality: oh, my next season's going to be the best season of life. I'm going to work really hard in this period. To do you sit down at achieve. the start of the at say in the end of October or the start of November, just before you get going? You sit down with say yourself even and write down your goals and what you want to do or what you didn't achieve or do you sit down with your coach or do you you know how do you get this team around do you have a little team around you of guys that you work with or yeah yeah for sure and that's exactly what I do I sit down and I um, pick out you know it can be hard sometimes if you you can be quite critical a lot of us can be quite critical on on what didn't work but then also you've got to be really make sure you've got to write down what you what you thought that really did work because they're mm. the things that you can grasp on for the next year that you gave you success throughout yeah, you the year, don't forget you know? that and just suddenly walk down the same path yeah, again and they're like oh, yeah. yeah so that's what I find I sit down with a team of like you know a coach and then um, like a mental trainer a mental coach and things like that you sit down and you talk to them about doing certain um, certain things and uh, trying to g'day Al hey Al just doing a Trying to try out this podcast. Oh, conference up here? Yeah. yeah, we're just recording for the moment. You what, sorry? Recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we try, I sit down and do that. And then once I've taken the good points, the bad points, 
generally I like to do that before I start my break. Ah, oh, right, so before I'll, the break. So yeah. you just finish the season, you're like, all right, season wrap up. Yep. What went good? What do I actually want to do next year? Next year. Yeah, Because right. I find I don't switch off correctly yep. in the off season if I've got these ideas floating around in my head. Yeah, nice. And I find like a month of me playing with these ideas can mean kind of a month of thinking, ah, oh, yeah, just... I won't have that now because I'm trying to be this weight for next year. Or look, I'm, uh, I, I really am trying to do some course. So I might just or gym different stuff in the gym. I might just add a gym session in in my break mm. rather than just actually legitimately having the break that you need. Most pro cyclists probably need eight weeks, not four. Mm. But you know that's what you get. What you reckon? Because physically, or physically, mentally, yeah. physically and mentally. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, that's what I like to do. And then after that, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll check back in with you in four weeks. See you later. To yourself. To, to, my, to myself and to my coach and to the thoughts and all that sort of stuff. Training, bike, whatever. I'll see you in four weeks. And it's a great time. Um, and then by the time, you know, one week comes before you start getting back on the bike. Do you feel in that four weeks that... Because I get the feeling with a lot of guys, it's like it's been all locked down for the whole season that you have to blow out in terms of treats and like food and diet and not training and making yourself feel not like an athlete or you just enjoy being fit and healthy year round yeah. sort of thing um i think it it just depends on how you finish the the season oh, yeah. um if you finish the season in this really big hole like it's a big year and you've had you might have done the vuelta you might have done the worlds you might have done dubai you know which are all at the end of the year yeah so Walters, you know one month and then Dubai is a week and then obviously the build up of the world championships you know you finish like you know you are big September big drain and I've never had an end of season like that I've always done six weeks with pretty much no racing and just built up with one day races and then race the world's team's time trial individual time trial and this year I did the road race so I've never been over raced the back end of my season because my first half of the season is always quite big so when I finish the season, I'm never feeling like, oh, I've got to blow out here, you know, and uh, just indulge in everything, which I, you know, I won't say I don't, I sure as hell do, but I just enjoy like, okay, I'll still go for your hikes and your, oh, yeah. tra- you know, things like that, but I'll still sit down and have three or four beers and and, and a bottle of wine or something. Yeah. <laughs> and not feel guilty about it. And not feel guilty. Yeah, no, exactly. No, no. That's but- the biggest thing you... I don't care what it is, as long as you don't feel guilty doing anything. If you don't want to do it, you don't do it. Because there's a lot of things in the season that you make yourself do that you don't want to do. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Just don't do that. Do what you want. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. It's sort of like you get to the end of the season and you've, you're you looking at something in the season, you're like, I can't. I just can't, you know. And then when you finally get to the, that, that one month, you want to be able to go, you know what, it's three in the arvo, I just want to have... I'm having a beer mm. or even if it's not a beer or something, it's just that, I don't know what it is. It's just, I mean, we all go through it, whether you're a, a professional athlete or not. It's just a bit of um, self-control and it's nice to not have that mm. self-control for a month. But I feel like I almost need to blow it out of my system. So, you know, two th- two weeks into it or even three weeks into it, I'm like, Geez, I'm really looking forward to getting back into my on the bike and back into my routine. I don't want to get back on the bike after three weeks and be like, geez, I wish I still had another week of off-season left. Yeah, I want to have yeah, it really yeah. out of the system. Um, and I think that's 
it proves to me why I am still a rider or a professional cyclist is because I still want it after a month being away from it. You know, mm. I think it's going to be a clear point to me after that month away from the bike that when I'm coming back after the off season I'm, and I'm forcing myself back on the bike, that might be a clear indication for me that maybe I'm getting to the end of my career or maybe I'm getting to the end of the time where I can get the best out of myself. Um, and I still felt at the end of this year after three weeks that, you know, I was like, I was ready. I was sort of chomping at the bit to say, you know, I want to get back. Is that something you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. You put the nail on the head there, Mitch. Yeah. It's just like, same sort of setup. You just don't want to... Like, same thing. You know, you just want to blow out of the system everything that you don't want. Be like, so you don't want to get back to that on the bike and go, oh, yeah, I wish I did this or I wish I did that. And, you know, just go and do that. Mm. Or I wish I had this or I wish I had that. Yeah. So, yeah, blow it out if you need. Um... Don't blow it out if you don't, like whatever whatever suits you and then everyone has a different way of running with their off season, you know, I know a few athletes that don't do anything like that, you know, most of the time it's uh, ultra, ultra healthy in the off season, there's a bit of a thing that that's, that we want to do. Like yeah, cleans, that's what you want you know, to do that's and it's not, you're not yeah. getting forced to do it, you've chosen to you, do that. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the point, you yeah. said that. Yeah. Uh, well, just quickly... Um, because we haven't really described what type of rider you actually are in the team and like... Teams are made up of, you know, our team's got 24 riders, 26 riders next year. Yeah, something like that. So 26 riders, and in each race you have anywhere between, some smaller races have six riders, and the bigger races, like a Grand Tour has nine riders. So any race can have either six, eight, or nine riders. Um, And each, each team sort of structure their their roster of riders around what they want to focus on that season and you know a team that's trying to win the Tour de France it's a three week stage race so they might base you know half of their team around guys that can ride good Grand Tours and a team that's focusing on one day races like the Classics would also focus their team around a lot of guys who can do one week uh, one day races Green Edge is a little bit in between where we, well, maybe not. Yeah. Well, we're more, more like... Now, more one-day races. Yeah, one-day races. One-day races even within Grand Tours. Yeah. We're yeah. still going for stages. Stages and... We don't day. have a specific not, GC rider, yeah. but we're changing now. And that's Big like, time. even the guys that we got this year, Taruka and Ruben Plaza, two Spanish guys... And Sue Spanish, you know, good climbers. climbers. Yeah. And this is the first time that our team's gone in that direction because yep. we've got Esteban Chavez, the young Colombian, well, not so young, middle-aged Colombian, <laughs> as we were discussing before. He's not as young as we think, yeah. even though he looks super young. <laughs> um, and now we're actually changing. Our team's changing because we're going a little bit down the, the general classification line. But... Um, we've got a small group of guys still focused around the sprinter, a young sprinter, Caleb Ewan. Yep. That's an area that I'm more based in, but what's more your role in the team? What type of rider are you specifically? How do you see yourself? What sort of rider do you see yourself as? Well, that's the thing. Like I, I actually have a, quite a versatile um, role within the team, which I do enjoy. Um, never sort of pigeonholed down one path. Um, for myself, when I first started, it's more my time trial is my asset, and I would you know could go and do a, a good time trial, good prologue, things like that. 
um, which is something that I want to continue to bring back into my repertoire um, as over the year, a oh, couple of years that I've sort of uh, worked really hard to, you know, climb better so I can go, get through Grand Tours. I can work, I work better in a classics for a good leader. I can ride better position, um, worked hard in all these different areas and the time trial sort of uh, slipped away. Slipped away, yeah. Um, which is something that I know personally within myself and that's one of the big things that I decided to change at the end of this year was that is something that I want to bring back in. And I don't think it's lost. It's just needed to be Do you think that happens to a lot of young guys? Like when they come into the For sure. Pro Tour yeah. or even to the Peloton, they come in and all of a sudden, like you said before at the start, you've got to be versatile. You can't just come in and go, well, I'm a time trialer. And then that's all you do. They it's go, Mitch or Luke, I need you to ride the front. Luke, I need you to get over that climb. And all of a sudden you find yourself pushing in all these different directions. You forget what you originally came in or what you're originally good at. Yeah, but that sort of happened to you, you think? Yeah, for sure. In ways it has like a but then also if I hadn't have adapted, then I wouldn't have ridden five grand tours, two Tour de France's, yeah. All the biggest races in the world because I wouldn't be versatile enough for me to take me there. Hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, 24 I'd done two tours and because I was versatile enough to be put in that team and like you said what makes up a team within our team, I would say you'll go to each race with two max three leaders you know and when you say leaders like to win the race to win the race ideally if you know for example we break down a punchy hill stage in the in a Tour de France you would have Matthews you would have Simon Gerrans and you'd have Michael Abelsini as a sort of these are the three guys that can possibly win that stage in different scenarios these three guys could possibly win so these three guys are crucial priority so these guys don't get biddens, they don't get food, yep. you ride in the wind, you make sure they don't get a puncture, you look after them. And then around those guys, you'll have guys that are crucial for the last minute lead out, drop off, things like that. So you'll have guys like Daryl Impey, um, sometimes Albacini, depends if, you know, where you go from there. Um, and then you might have uh, a climber, you know, like a couple of climbers that I know they're going to be at the finish because they can climb very well. It's quite a punchy course. And they might be able to help out towards the end so, you know, both the eights boys would be there. Mm. Then, to fill the other gaps, you have those guys that do the majority of work for the first 160, 180 kilometres of the day, um, which is out of the wind, potentially right in the front, getting food, biddings, things like that. And I come into that role in that scenario. And that's something, a role that I enjoy because I, you know, get good satisfaction out of, you know, helping someone. And I would also say that you've got the physical um, attributes for that job, that which also makes you enjoy it. Like, because I think that's a big key to it is that we all enjoy our different roles because... It's what we're good at. We're good at them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I've done your role too. Mm. And I'm for one day, you yeah. know, not day in, day out. And it, it kills me. Sure. You know, and I'm sure you've done my role too, and I'm not sure how much you enjoy it. No, not really. You don't and like getting up there with the category. Yeah. And I hate your role, you know, and yeah. I'm like, well, screw that, you know, but that's what that's what keeps us going. So, in that sense, that's what the, yeah, that's it. Like, everyone is put in that situation because of their ability and what they enjoy, and mm-hmm. obviously, you enjoy what you do. Um, so, that's sort of my role in terms of a grand tour uh, stage like that. But then you go, back a little bit and you go, all right, it's a 
it's a lead out day, you know, and I might be used a bit further back and mm. I might be, okay, look, you're not working the front today because you're quite good at positioning. So you got to get Matthews and the sprint train within 3K to go. Mm. So that means I'll hang back a bit more, box on, get inside three to go when the speeder is going quite high and make sure the sprinter is in the right position. That's a it's another role, and then there's the team's time trial hat, which is something that I'm obviously good at, and what I've focused on for a long period of time. This is like I go to grand tours because I have a team's time trial, and it's like okay, this is your day. This is the day that you have to pull minute minute and a half turns to try and get the team across the line in first to obviously win the stage, mm. which is great, but also put your GC rider up it's, into that role. It's funny that your role, you know, it might be looked as looked at as a quite a minimal sort of job, you know, taking the trash out, riding the front type role there. But then on the flip side, in a team's time trial, you're expected to be the leader there and hold the team up. And Mm. it's the same, it's essentially the same work you've got to do. And it's just on a different day, um, how it's viewed, yet it's just as important, I think, in both both areas you know yeah yeah you're right and it's like it's like also in in that sense it's like then you you always get your time i feel within this team especially you always get your time to go for you you know and you sure like you said you might be taking the trash out or whatever you feel like you're that workhorse and i feel that throughout the year i get you know these certain opportunities um uh, that I can go, okay, Luke, this is your day. You're going to go for it today, you know? And uh, For an individual for result? An individual result. And, uh, and Would that, that be in a stage or would that be for a time stage, trial? In a stage, in a time trial, and then hopefully this year I'm going to try and more focus in the classics. So one day that I get, you know, some support from around the team that I'll get to take my opportunity and then try and get up the road and, and make that. And uh, Will you tell the team that or will you get instructed by the team when those days are going to happen? No, we've gone through the program and looked at it and they've gone, okay, this is the day we get free reign. This is the day you get free reign. This is the day you get free reign. To do, Already now? Yeah. For the whole year? do what you want. Well, yeah. through the whole year, but yeah, yeah, yeah nice. at certain areas. And I think that's why, yeah, like you said, it's, you can't, it's very hard to explain in terms of if you were to sit down and tell someone exactly what rider you were, and obviously, you know, obviously we talked for ages about it, it's it's something that you can't really necessarily explain. It's just sort of the day-to-day role as a cyclist can be forever changing, which is why we love it so much. Mm. But, yeah, you can never really pigeonhole yourself to one area. On this. Because one that's probably not good enough because... As soon as you stop doing that, you're not good at, you're not useful anymore to the team. Yep. So one day you might not be able to sprint anymore or whatever, but you then might be able to be a good classic captain on the road for a younger guy or something I like that. I can imagine, you know? like, to put it in another context, it's like working at a cafe and you're a barista. And all you do is make coffee. And they go, actually, can you just run this plate out for us? You're like, well, I, I just make coffee. I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, put That's, something through the till for me. Like, yeah, you're like, I don't know how to do that. It's like, well, any job, you have to be versatile. You still specialize at something. Sure, you're still a good coffee but maker. But you've still got to make, or well, mate, you've still got to do the other roles um, that you get thrown at. And you've still got to do them well, because otherwise, they're just going to go exactly what you said. 
all right, cool, we've got someone else who can make coffee and he can run the plates too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're out. Yeah. And he's going to do it for cheaper. <laughs> so, yeah, but anyway. Uh, no, nah, for sure. And that's a, yeah, it's good to, like, in terms of when you, you're trying to explain and it's a good way to, like, within the sport you understand that. Um, and, but it's something that, you know, you ask your parents and they're like, why don't you win, you know? Mm. And it's an interesting concept. It's like, yeah, well, I, I know what you mean, but when the team is winning and you're there, you are winning because you're... Well, you've played a massive, part, massive part in that. Otherwise, you know? people don't win. And no. I think that's underestimated from the outside is that it's viewed as one person won that day and they forget that there's actually, like, you just went through the whole team. There's you and someone else doing the stuff early in the race. Then there's the next part of the team that sets them up for the final part of the race. And then in the final, they do their part to win the race. Mm. But it's those three or four steps along the way. If they're not achieved, the final part never happens. Never happens. Well, the next step actually never happens. Yeah. So, it's very hard to see unless you get in, into the nitty-gritty of cycling. But once you start to understand it and you see that teamwork happening, you start to appreciate the way races are raced um, when you're watching them on TV. And for me, watching a race on TV is so amazing, watching a, a sprint, a lead-out in a sprint, because that's what I do. And that excites me, because I can just see... The, the final sprint's not that impressive for me. It's the build-up. It's the th- 5K up until 500 metres to go that I'm losing my mind about, because mm. I'm watching all the teamwork happen. The final 500 metres is sort of obsolete because the job's done Hmm. or not done, you know? And that's, I think, the same with the GC guy. You see the stuff happening over the whole day rather than just the last 5K. Um, No, I don't think I use the analogy that you sort of say there that that each process gets ticked along the way. Hmm. Um, And I found that when I was growing up in sport that this is a big thing why I chose cycling as a sport and it's why I think people really love it. Um, and why maybe you love it as well, but playing rugby when I was a junior, there was guys that just didn't put the hard work in. You know, I was running laps before training, laps after training, really putting the hard work in. There was young guys, and sure, it was just kids' sport, but, you know, it was for me, it was everything. Obviously, sport is everything as a kid like that, and what was happening was these guys weren't fulfilling their roles within the team. So we were losing, but not because my role wasn't fulfilled. I was doing my job. But the team was suffering big time because the, each rider, each rider, each you know rugby player in the team wasn't fulfilling their goal, or they're they're trying to achieve the thing for the team that we were losing. So then I found cycling and found that I could not necessarily rely on these guys to get what I want out mm. of the sport. But then I found when I became professional, I got this team aspect back again. I was still a team player. I loved being part of a team. But everyone's come to the team individually. Individually. Yeah. And we eventually got there. And then now it's like, all right, boys, we're in the rugby room before the start. You know, come on, boys. All right. Yeah. You know, the props are going to do their job. This is going to do their job. They're going to do a job. And then we're going to win as a team. Yeah. Even though it's one person throwing their hands in the air. But you've got that, like, I'm back in this team environment, which I really craved over the junior aspect because you're doing a lot of it for yourself. That's funny that you said you go that. that and you go back and you're like, tick, 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 tick. And bang, there's your result. And you're like, I've missed this this aspect of team that I haven't had as a junior, you know? I've never put two and two together there because, like, you forget that you've become professional 
individually almost. And along the way, you race in a team here and there, but mostly you race individually. So you've learned how to race. And like you said, what you put in, you get out. Yep. You're not relying on, you know, passing it to so-and-so and he's got to run the, the wing and score the try, you know? And he drops the ball. Exactly, and, yeah. you know? And it's like, what I put in, I get back. But then when you finally get to professional and you're in a team again, everyone's coming there individually. They know what they put in, they get out. So, and then when you make a team, it's almost like a super team. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's committed. And if they're not, they get whittled out really quickly. That's very um, true. So. Yeah. That's cool, mate. Let's yeah. let's just wrap it up there because sure. we've been waffling on. Yeah, but um, yeah. cool. Good to chat to you, buddy. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thanks for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope there was something interesting there that you could take out of it or not. Just found it funny to listening to us. Uh, we'll be back again and um, send in your comments and reports to lifeinthepeloton.com and we can hopefully make it better or more interesting or... Whatever. I'm Mitch Stocker and you've been listening to Life in the Peloton.